Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, is the classical verse about speaking in tongues. It's where it's introduced clearly in the Bible. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. I was introduced to the topic of tongues by my Pentecostal elder brother way, way back in the Christmas of 1871. Oh, sorry. I missed the century there. 1971. And um, I was a student dancer. Uh, not so long before that, we'd lost our father. And it was the first time of seeing my brother, who was living in Africa at the time. And uh, we spent the Christmas together. And uh, he talked about God in a personal way. Both of us were brought up in the Anglican tradition, and no disrespect either to that tradition or my parents who introduced me to it, but kind of got the impression that it was all about good works, all about being a good person and trying to do good. Nothing wrong with that, but this is no basis for getting you to heaven. And yet my brother, something had happened to him, and he talked about the Holy Spirit in a way that was personal and intimate. He talked about preaching, and he'd done some lay preaching, and he said, you know, preaching, Colin, is amazing. Words come to you from nowhere. And then he talked about this special experience he'd had. He called it speaking in tongues. And I said, what's that? He said, it's, it's an experience with the Holy Spirit. It's so real. He gives you another language to speak to him and communicate. And I think the Holy Spirit had prepared me. I was not yet a, a believer. I didn't have a personal relationship with Christ. But something about the way he, he spoke about God seemed to hit home to me because anybody with an ounce of logic would know that if God is real, then he will show himself to be real. And it seemed to me that the gift of tongues was something I could pick up on and say, wow, God really is real. Anyway, not very long after that, I received Christ. And that was in the Christmas, uh, Christmas Eve back in 1971. After the Christmas, into the new year, 
my brother had gone back home and he left me with these words, make sure you seek the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And he suggested strongly that at such a moment, such an experience, I could expect the release of this gift of speaking in tongues. So I went round church after church and asked, can you show me how to speak in tongues? Some churches sent me away very, very quickly. But at one church, St. Mary's, West Kensington, the people there said, oh, oh, you need to speak to Sister Kate. Why? She speaks in tongues, and she's a Pentecostal. I thought they might have meant Pentecostal, but anyway. So I met up with Sister Kate, and um, we began to discuss these things. But I didn't come to Kensington Temple at that point. I was invited to a Holy Trinity Brompton house group. And my uh, good friend Sandy Miller afterwards told me, he said, I don't think it was one of our authorized house groups. There was I in this unauthorized house group, it was a prayer group, and they were full of the Spirit. And they would be praying in tongues, and I thought it was the most amazing thing. And I began to ask God for it. I attended first on the 7th of February. See, these moments stick in your mind. 7th of February. 1972, and spent that week asking God that he would baptize me in the Holy Spirit and that he would release me in the gift of tongues. A week later, the 14th of February, 1972, it happened. There weren't many competent teachers around, and, and in those days, what we used to do for want of competent teachers was we'd play cassettes. Pass them around. Remember those days? No, don't, don't, because it might age you. <laughs> and now we have so much access to preaching materials everywhere on the internet and so forth. It was a tape by David Watson, and he spoke about being filled with the Holy Spirit. And you know, even, even thinking about it now, something of that, the memory of that experience, which has, by the way, been renewed many, many, many times Sometimes I feel like asking some Pentecostals, have you been filled with the Spirit since you spoke in tongues? It's an ongoing experience, relationship with God. And after that, everybody went silent. Nobody quite knew what to do, but one of the dear members of that house fellowship said, as they do, oh dear Lord, we pray for anybody who may be seeking to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And in that moment, I felt something bubbling up on the inside of me. And it bubbled up. And it bubbled up. And I found these beautiful words pouring out of my mouth. The previous week, I had a very high, joyful experience. This was different and good for me because I'm an excitable person. It's good for me. It was very sober and beautiful. 
and quiet and awesome and holy. And as these words poured out of my mouth, I felt that I was saying something that I always wanted to say, but I didn't know how, and I didn't know to whom I should say it. But I knew I was addressing the Lord Jesus in this, what I can rightly describe as a heavenly language. I didn't see a vision, as it were, visually, but I had a visual impression that Jesus Christ, who was high, exalted in heaven, had poured out this upon me, and it was a most beautiful, humbling, and wonderful experience. And that, of course, was the heyday of the great charismatic movement, which over the years has developed and grown, and I believe is at the point of coming into a new phase in which many elements which perhaps were missing from the charismatic movement are being added to the flow and move of the Holy Spirit in our day and in our generation. And I believe that God is inviting us to be a part of it in Kensington Temple, and who knows, maybe even a spiritual hub out of which will flow many significant things in the future. And this is what has motivated me to talk about this tonight, because I believe that God is going to take this spiritual gift of speaking in tongues in, in some fresh and new way amongst us. But that's exactly what speaking in tongues is. It's a spiritual gift, which quite literally means a grace gift. It is given not on merit. It is given by God's grace. It is a gift, and one of the nine spiritual gifts mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12, and it says there uh, that each of these gifts is a manifestation of the Spirit given for a purpose which is for the common good. And included in there are two gifts I want to mention, speaking in different kinds of tongues and the interpretation of tongues. We see how those two things go together. And so this, this is about the Holy Spirit enabling you to do something that you couldn't do before, to speak in a new, and very often it means a different kind of language, a spiritual language, a heavenly language, and we may even be bold to say an angelic language. Paul speaks about speaking in tongues, the tongues of men and of angels. Wouldn't it be nice to know that we can speak on earth a heavenly language, the language of the angels? And so back to Acts chapter 2. There they were, gathered together. Jesus said, don't go anywhere yet. Stay in Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father. And Jesus, after he was resurrected and finally ascended, they waited 10 days and then the Spirit came. And uh, we read the description. There were things which were unique, perhaps, about this occasion. 
there were manifestations, the sound of a rushing of a mighty wind, and there were tongues of fire. Now, that always confused me. Uh, you talk about tongues, and they talk about tongues of fire. All it just basically means is there was a manifestation of the glory of God, which appeared like fire over them, and the fire separated, and over each one's head, a tiny flame appeared, meaning this great symbol and manifestation of God's spirit and of God's glory. Isn't it wonderful to know that one of the ways that God manifests his Shekinah glory amongst us is by filling us with the Holy Spirit and releasing us into this gift of tongues. And that's the link, being filled with the Spirit to the point where out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks a spiritual language, a heavenly language. Now, when we examine this closely, we find that speaking in tongues is very different from regular speech, very different. I recently saw a report of a scientist who was investigating, analyzing this, not in a critical way, but trying to understand what was happening in the brain when people were speaking in tongues. Because the way it is described is that it's different. It's not like any other way of talking. Because in the immediate, you don't understand what you're saying. Now that sounds strange, but let me explain. It's the Holy Spirit directing you. It's not as if the Holy Spirit is taking over and you have no control over this. No, no, no. There is a way in which we participate because it says they spoke with tongues. The Spirit won't do it for you. He doesn't really even do it through you. He enables you to do it. You participate. There's a great engagement of the human personality at the deepest level of your human spirit combined with the Holy Spirit. And together there's this beautiful fruit that comes from the Holy Spirit, not originating from your own mind, but it comes from the Holy Spirit. And so what this scientist found, so he got great tongue talkers together and he gave them a brain scan while they were speaking in tongues. Not because he thought there was something wrong with them, but he wanted to see which part of the brain was operating. And what he noticed was that the frontal lobe, which is where the speech center in the brain is located, was quite inactive. But other parts of the brain were active. And so this seems to me that God is saying there is a way in which he will give us to communicate with him that does not originate from our own understanding in the normal way of communication and of speech. And as we shall see, that is highly significant when we look at the purpose of this. So what is happening? The Holy Spirit is directing the whole purpose. It's a spiritual language. What you are saying is coming from the Holy Spirit, which immediately tells us there's something prophetic about it. There is something to do with revelation. Paul says when you speak in tongues, you are speaking mysteries. And the word mystery in the Bible is linked to revelation. It's not, oh, I don't understand what's happening here. It's a mystery. No, it's deeper than that. It means that God is communicating 
and revealing himself. That's what the word mystery means in the Bible. It's not an Agatha Christie novel. It's not that kind of mystery. It, and it's not a mystery in terms of it's inexplainable. It, it is a mystery in terms of revelation because a mystery is God revealing a secret which becomes public. That's what it means. It's not the product of your own understanding. You see, regular speech originates in the mind. And when you're communicating, you're communicating your thought. When you're speaking in tongues, you're communicating not your thoughts, but the thoughts of God. That's what's so wonderful about it. Uh, Paul puts it this way. He says, when I'm speaking in tongues, my understanding is unfruitful. In other words, it's not the product of my own understanding. But this doesn't mean to say that it is irrational or, or crazy kind of way of talking, gibberish. No, it doesn't mean that at all. It just means that it's not originating from you. It's originating from the Holy Spirit. You're not articulating from your own understanding as you do when you communicate in a language, uh, regular language. In other words, it's not the result of the cognitive functioning of your brain. It's something higher than that. It's not irrational, but it does transcend the regular rational processes. Now, let me pause just there. That is an element that the church of Jesus Christ needs and has always needed. Now, I believe in using my brain. I kind of hope the more I use it, the bigger it gets, but sometimes the more I use my brain, the bigger my head gets. But in this, you put your intellectual pride on one side and you allow the Holy Spirit to flow through you in terms of speech. Now this has led a lot of people to say, you really can't talk about this as being a language. We linguists, some anyway, have studied it and said it's, it's not a language. Listen to lots of people speaking in tongues, recording them and then transcribed it and then said, this is meaningless. Now, language carries meaning. And if you say it's not a language, you're saying it has no meaning, you are saying it's meaningless. I think that is one of the biggest insults to the Holy Spirit that you can ever make. One of the criticisms I heard was this. Oh, no, it's all open-voweled. Don't worry about that. You know, don't analyze it, but if you happen to notice it, I think that's generally true. Open-voweled, every word finishes on an open vowel. And they say, that can't be a language. Then I remembered where I was born. And I remembered the language that I heard from a child upwards. Hakuna Matata. <laughs> Swahili. Now, I'm going to speak some Swahili now. Don't think it's tongues. Don't want somebody standing up and interpreting this. And those of you who understand Swahili, you will you will know what I'm saying. And those of you who don't, just listen to the open vowels. Nina penda kula chakula tamu sana. Anybody understand what I said? Speak to me. What did I say? 
Well done. Sorry, I was really clapping myself there. I shouldn't because it was very risky to try and speak that, that language. But did you notice every word ended on an open vowel? And I, I have never seen or read or heard any Swahili speech that does not end in this characteristic Bantu way of an open vowel. Just because it's an open vowel doesn't mean to say it's a language. That's, that's just a sideline. You get that for free tonight. But the point is this. You do not understand with your mind what you are saying. Now, that's not so strange. If it's not the product of your mind, if it's the product of the Holy Spirit as you cooperate with him and flow with him, then it's, it's logical that you wouldn't understand with your mind because it's not produced by your mind. It's not coming from your mind. And, and also, when you are speaking in tongues, usually the people hearing you don't understand with their mind what you are saying. So now I said, well, what's the point of it at all? Well, when it comes to understanding, it's important to realize that the gift of tongues corresponds to another gift, which is the gift of interpretation. So at any moment where you are led by the Spirit to address a congregation in tongues, it is totally valueless for the purpose of edification unless and until it is interpreted. And uh, so you say, well, why is that necessary for Paul to uh, say that? And I didn't understand this for a very long time. I kind of accepted it, but didn't really understand why anybody would do that until I visited high in the mountains of, of central Kenya in the Rift Valley. And there was a strange Pentecostal group. And why, why they were strange was not because they spoke with tongues, but they were strange in how they used the gift of tongues. This was their reasoning. If speaking in tongues is spiritual language, then when we get together, all we should ever do is speak in tongues. And so the pastor would stand up and he would speak in tongues. And I suppose he expected it to be the welcome. Somebody else would stand up and speak in tongues, no interpretation, speak in tongues, and I suppose we were to recognize that we're giving the notices. And when, when, when the pastor preached, he just spoke in tongues. And everybody spoke, that's all they did, one person after the other, no interpretation. And this is exactly what Paul was talking about. He says, listen, if you're going to address the congregation, you better do it in a language they'd understand. And this is why there's a twin gift, the interpretation of tongues. They go together. The Holy Spirit in the gift of interpretation of tongues gives somebody the ability to interpret or communicate the meaning of the speech given in tongues. And mostly, interpretation comes this way. The understanding comes indirectly as a second stage. There's a message or speaking in tongues, and then there's an interpretation. If it is public for the purpose of edification, private is another matter, but we're coming to that. 
Mostly it comes indirectly as a second stage. But sometimes the tongues and interpretation happen supernaturally at the same time. In other words, when somebody is speaking in tongues, the people are given a supernatural ability to hear those tongues in their own language. And I believe that's what was happening on the day of Pentecost. Let me read for you Acts chapter 2, verses 5 to 12. They were filled with the Spirit and they're all speaking in tongues. And then it says this. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. These were Jewish people who were born and lived in the diaspora there in the ancient Roman world. When they heard this sound, there was the sound of people speaking in tongues. A crowd came together in bewilderment. Why? Because each one heard. That's where the miracle took place. They heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are all these, not all these men who are speaking Galileans, then how is it each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them three times. Luke tells us where the miracle happened. It wasn't necessarily, as is the common interpretation of this, and I admit to you I may be wrong, but this is how I see it. We hear them in our own language, and this is what they are saying. They're declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. We hear them declaring. That's where the miracle happened. There was no need for interpretation, not because they were necessarily speaking the language of the diaspora, the languages or the dialects of that, but as they were speaking and praising God, God did a double miracle and they heard in their own language. And then verse 12 says, amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Now, this shows us it was a supernatural event. This was a sign and a wonder given for unbelievers. And remember, Paul says tongues is a sign, not for believers. They don't need that sign when they are speaking in tongues of another purpose. But the gift of tongues is an evangelistic gift, and at least it was on this occasion and has been on many occasions. Now, a number of years ago, heard a story of what took place here in the transept in Kensington Temple. Now listen to the story, and I offer the story in evidence of the interpretation that I've just given to you on this, this wonderful thing. One of our sisters, an early gatherer, I, I know we're talking about nine o'clock service, and I'm, I'm sure you don't even know that that nine o'clock service exists in the evening service, or some of you do. There she was, quietly, to herself, 
but she was speaking audibly, and she was praying. All she knew that she was talking to God, speaking in tongues. And afterwards, a visitor from the church said, when have you been to my village? Now this lady was a white lady. The only village she knew about was the tea party down in the local town hall. I haven't been to your village. How come you speak my language? I don't think I do speak your language. Oh yes, you do. You've just been telling me how I need to repent from my sins. You've described my whole life and I want to do what you just told me to do. What was that? Give my life to Christ. Now, I know that really that doesn't prove anything, but it does support this idea that at times the gift of interpretation happens simultaneously to that gift and amazing things can take place. So on the day of Pentecost, this was a clear supernatural sign and a wonder. And because it was a sign and a wonder, it brought division. Have you noticed that? Signs and wonders, when they happen, are not universally recognized, accepted, and celebrated. In fact, very often, signs and wonders cause an offense in those who don't want to believe. It's as if God confounds them in order to reveal their heart. Amazed and perplexed, verses 12 and 13, it says, they asked one another, what does this mean? And then some, however, made fun of them and said, they are drunk, or they've had too much wine. Signs and wonders always separate those who are open to God and those who are looking for a reason to reject him. Signs and wonders, are, they always leave the door open. They don't take away your responsibility to, to surrender to God. They don't force you into believing. They point you to Christ. And so there's often an offense that is attached with signs and wonders. Often there's something ambiguous and that leaves room for the doubters to doubt. And what could leave more room for people to doubt if they want to doubt than something that sounds to the uncircumcised ear like gibberish. I think this is what Paul meant when he said, uh, 1 Corinthians 14, verses 20 to 23, brothers, stop thinking like children in, in regard to evil, be infants, but in your thinking be adults. He's talking about the gift of tongues. And he says, in the law it is written through men of strange tongues and through lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people but even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Tongues then are a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. There's an evangelistic intent in this. When God adds supernatural to supernatural and people hear the gospel in a language that they understand and the speaker does not understand. Then he goes on to say, prophecy, however, is for believers, not for unbelievers. 
Well, tongues with interpretation is equivalent of prophecy. Again, he's arguing, don't just stand up and speak in tongues. Use your head, speak in a language they can understand. Believers need edification. They need that, not signs. And uh, I, I uh, remember where I, I give this as, as an example from my own experience because I can vouch for it. I was in Kenya. Why is, all, why is Kenya coming up tonight? I don't know, but it, all these stories seem to be from Kenya. But I was in Kenya, and this was um, my first time back to Kenya after many, many years. And um, it was a, a remarkable time. And uh, it was a fulfillment of a long prophecy that I received shortly after I was baptized in the Holy Spirit in 1972, where God would take me back to my birthplace. And uh, the supernatural was everywhere. And what we learned as a small team back then became the basis of our teaching on the miraculous in this church and the foundation of our vision for mission. And every time we go on mission, we see miracles. And, and that has come closer to home than many of you imagine because every time we cross the street here in London in mission to reach the lost, we see miracles and salvation. And uh, one morning, we were with Kikuyu people, um, and so it wasn't Swahili, and in the early morning intercession, they told me that I was speaking Kikuyu. Hmm. And this is what I was saying in Kikuyu. I was warning them that amongst them stood a hypocrite. We later discovered that there was an unsavory character whose motivation to be amongst us was to steal and cheat. And they were shocked as I repeated in Kikuyu, in fact, I even remember the word. I won't say it because maybe I'm not pronouncing it correctly. But at that moment, in the Holy Spirit, I repeated. You, and apparently, they thought I was even pointing to him. You hypocrite, you hypocrite, you hypocrite. And all I thought I was doing was interceding in strong tongues. Well, that was an example of somebody speaking in tongues, not requiring interpretation, either indirectly or directly to the ears of the people, but actually speaking a language that the speaker didn't know, but the hearers who needed to hear did. So, this leads us on to why tongues? What is the purpose? I'm going to be brief on this one because we want to get down to business tonight. Amen? Well, obviously, it's prophetic prayer and praise. It's about talking to God. And this is the characteristic gift, or aspect of the gift. Tongues is a prayer language, a language with which you, you direct your prayer, your prayers, your intercession to God. Talking to God. That's the characteristic aspect of this. It's Godward. However, 
it can also be, and very often is, a word from God to us. It's a declaration, prophetic and revelatory. And when the tongues are interpreted, that's how it often comes out. Now, if tongues is spirit-directed speech, even if you don't immediately understand what you're saying, you can be sure that it has content, valuable content. And that content, when it's interpreted, can be instructive. It can be revelation. It can be prophetic, a word from God. But how can it be both? How can it be a word to God and a word from God at the same time? Easy, easy. I puzzled over this for a long time and then I realized what the answer is. It's very simple. Think of the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms is almost exclusively prayer, praise, worship, declaration from us to God. But because it's inspired, it is in every instance, in every verse, not just a word from our hearts to God, it is a word from God. And so if you're confused about saying it is fundamentally Godward, but also it can be from God at the same time. I think the book of Psalms really does help us. So tongues with interpretation can be a message, a revelation from God to us, which is exactly the same as prophecy. So it's talking to God, but it's also hearing from God. Now I want to distinguish the purposes of speaking in tongues in under two, two categories the personal and private category, and the public and corporate category, okay? So I'm talking about, first of all, the purpose of the gift of tongues in your own personal and private devotion to the Lord, in your personal spiritual discipline. When you are speaking in tongues, you are encouraged. You are being built up in your spirit, strengthened in your spirit. Paul says, when I pray in tongues, it's my spirit that is praying. And prayer is the best exercise for your spirit. It's like going and doing a workout in the gym. People who pray regularly in tongues, personally and privately, are those who gather authority and grow and become strong in their spirit. We need people today who are strong in spirit. Speak in tongues more. Go to the spiritual gym and do a spiritual workout every day. All right, that's a very important exhortation. And we are talking to God in prayer, in praise, and intercession. Even though we don't understand what we're saying at that time, our spirit is communicating directly with God who understands all languages. And because it is, is something that expresses very deep personal intimacy with God, when you are expressing it with God and to God, 
it, it, it's just like I said earlier. I felt I was saying stuff that I always wanted to say, but didn't know how and didn't know to whom I should say it. And that's why it's a very valuable gift in intercession. Very often when I'm interceding, I feel I need to attune my spirit to the Holy Spirit. And when you do this, you, you know, your mind sometimes gets in the way because you're thinking all your thoughts and hard to separate your thoughts from God's thoughts. But when you still your spirit and engage with the Holy Spirit, something happens. You're interceding at a higher level than your current human understanding. And I find afterwards, after a period of time in speaking in tongues or praying in tongues, my intercession flowing from my understanding is enlightened. And I find that I pray things that I would not have thought about praying before. And perhaps what is happening is that when you are praying in tongues, you're interceding and the spiritual impact of that is the release of revelation to help you pray. Sometimes it is you interpreting your own tongue. Back in the day, when I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, after I spoke in tongues, it was not loud, but it was a small group and people were able to hear. And afterwards, a woman spoke. It was a prophecy. And the prophecy, as I recall, said two things. First of all, this is a gift and a blessing from God. Appreciated. And with this comes a great responsibility in your life. Now looking back on that, I can't say this for sure, but I wonder whether what I was speaking in tongues was now interpreted so that everybody could hear and understand together. So, very often, when we pray with the Spirit, we're not praying with our mind, but we're praying with the Spirit's mind, and that releases supernatural revelation, understanding, and sensitivity to the voice of the Holy Spirit. That's why I encourage you to do more and more of this privately in your own devotions. We certainly know that Paul did. Paul spoke to this church that was speaking in tongues far too much in their public meetings. He said, I thank God that I speak with tongues more than all of you. But when we gather together, I'd rather speak five words in a language you understand than 10,000 words in tongues. So then, this brings us to the public and the corporate. Now, again, we need to think of this in two ways. So we have to understand the difference between the use of the gift of tongues publicly when we are, as it were, addressing the congregation. That always requires interpretation. 
If we do this as an individual in a corporate meeting, it must be for the benefit of others, not just my own personal blessing. And therefore, it always should be interpreted, even if it's just a prayer or a praise that's interpreted. But there is another use of the gift that is validated in the scriptures, but very often unseen by the critics of those who dislike the charismatic movement. And that's the corporate use of tongues as people all join together to worship, to praise, to intercede. Paul says, I will sing with the Spirit, I will sing with the understanding also. And this wonderful way when the Holy Spirit moves, it's like we are the strings on a heavenly harp and when the wind blows, the harp plays. And the song that arises, the spiritual song, as everybody is doing this together unto God, that's a wonderful gift and it is not spoken against, as some people suggest, by the Apostle Paul. Corporate tongues, as people worship and praise God, does not necessarily require interpretation because it's not the congregation that is being addressed. It is God who is being addressed. And I want to finish by talking about the function of tongues, the place of tongues in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now I deduce from Scripture, the New Testament in particular, that the gift of tongues is a sign gift that accompanies the baptism of the Spirit. But I don't think I can conclude from Scripture that it is the only manifestation of the Holy Spirit or indeed the exclusive sign of the Spirit's presence so that we could say to somebody who otherwise exhibits the fullness of the Holy Spirit and say, oh, you're not baptized in the Spirit, you don't speak with tongues. Because in the Bible, in the New Testament, the emphasis is on prophetic speech. In other words, one of the signs of being filled with the Spirit is prophetic speech. And in the New Testament, the characteristic prophetic speech that is focused on in the book of Acts appears to be that new form of prophetic speech, speaking in tongues. But for example, when they were filled with the Spirit at Ephesus, it says, when Paul laid his hands on them, they began to speak in tongues and prophesy. Now the language is ambiguous. Does it mean some spoke with tongues, others prophesied? Did it mean they all spoke with tongues, which is prophetic speech? And really, you can analyze it and analyze it, and you cannot build a watertight case to bring somebody else who does not speak in tongues but still exhibits other gifts of the Spirit and say, you're not baptized in the Holy Spirit. However, while we cannot be dogmatic, it does encourage us to expect the gift of tongues, or at the very least, a flow of supernatural speech 
that is clearly prophetic. Okay, I want to get down to it so we can um, cover more teaching on this on, on another on another topic on a, another time. But I want to I want to ask you this question, and it's a real question addressed to you. How would you feel if you provided for a loved one a beautiful, valuable, and indeed useful gift, and it was ignored? Rejected or abused. Well, God has given us a very precious gift, the ability to speak with new tongues. And I, I think we should desire it, not despise, despise it. We should value it especially in the way we use it, in your own spiritual practice. Use it reverently, use it joyfully as a way of cultivating your own spiritual life. And as we gather together in the church, learn to use that gift to flow together with others at those appropriate times in the church where God is moving us to pray together in tongues to worship together in tongues, to intercede in tongues. But do so without pride or a superior attitude. No spiritual gift is evidence of your superior spirituality or your maturity. It's evidence that God's grace is at work in your life. And where there is Grace, there is no room for pride or arrogance, but only humility as we greatly, gratefully receive and use what God has given us for the purpose for which it is given, which is to encourage one another and to glorify God.